Thanks for tuning in to Americana Music Profiles. It's Season 3, brought to you by Americana Rhythm Music Magazine in print and AmericanaMusicMagazine.com online. I'm your host, Greg Tutwiler. Let's join in on another great conversation with one of the Americana Music Industry's super talented artists. Minneapolis, Minnesota singer-songwriter Matthew Fox celebrates the release of his fourth CD, The Crooked Stage, featuring 11 new original songs, including Iowa, Don't Lay That Burden on Me, and the song Limbo. Matthew is my guest for this edition of Americana Music Profiles. Well, hi, Matt. Welcome to the podcast this afternoon. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Sure. Good to talk to you. So uh, you are in uh, Minnesota, right? I am. I'm in Minneapolis now. I've been here for, boy, close off and on for about 17 years. Okay. That was my next question. How long have you been there? Did you grow up there? Yeah. I did not. I'm originally from Georgia and grew up in Texas, uh, spent most of my life in, most of my early life in Texas, and then, uh, boy, moved out to the Black Hills for a while, back to Texas, back. Ended up here and then uh, moved to Montana for a while. Wow! <laughs> yeah, so all all over. Yeah, bounced around. Yeah. Uh, and how, yeah. when did music become uh, part of your life? Day one, honestly. Really? Um, my, <laughs> yeah. No, my folks were um, and still are huge music fans, and uh, you know, my mom sang beautifully, but she didn't do it for anybody. But I always heard her in the house. And, uh-huh. Um. My dad is like the the quintessential listener. Okay, uh, he's the reason people people like me have jobs. He, um, you know, he can't carry a tune in a bucket, really. But um, but he would bring me and my friends in from outside to make us listen. He'd put the needle back on the record, make us listen to fifteen seconds of a cool change, and go, "Now that's good music." Huh. You know, that's and, cool. So they, and they would they took me to concerts growing up, and you know, I mean, I remember seeing John Prine and Leo Kotke when I was five on the University of Georgia campus, and. You know, all kinds of, whether it was songwriters like Harry Chapin or people like your John Prine or going to bigger shows, going to see The Who and Linda Ronstadt and, you know, all kinds, they just took me all kinds of shows and it was a huge part of our life. When did you start, uh, when did you start playing? Um, well, on the single digits, I guess I would steal, my mom had a guitar, she didn't really play, mm-hmm. but I'd steal it and pluck around on yeah, it and I didn't okay. get my own until I was, until I was 14. Okay. And uh, just kind of took off from there. I, you know, I messed around and played heavier stuff and rock stuff. And um, but honestly, I can't say I took it. I, I was in a few bands here and there, but didn't really take it seriously until I was in college, maybe. Yeah. Okay. I guess. And then I started, you know, started doing shows for money, and when I was about twenty-two, twenty-three, and then. Uh, I would just take any job I could get. I would play for, I mean, I did belly dances and, uh, <laughs> you know, playing playing behind them and Irish Kayleys and blues gigs. And um, people would call and say, hey, can you do so-and-so? And I'd say, sure. Yeah. And then I'd go woodshed, you know, until the gig and go play it. Yeah. <laughs> so anything, anything I could get on stage, it's, you know, it, it was a blast. I, I remember getting up on a, on an open mic, my girlfriend at the time in college pushed me up on stage for an open mic, and I huh. was sh- shaking and dry mouth, and I sounded had like a cool Stevie Nicks vibrato. I was shaking so bad. <laughs> and, 
um, on the first song. Second song was a little better, and third song I knew I'd do it for the rest of my life. Wow, that's cool. When did it become a a full-time pursuit for you? Um, I guess like most musicians, I've worked a million jobs off and on to keep doing this full-time. So it's hard to say what's full-time and what's not. Right, right. But I mean, in... Back in my twenties, in the you know in the nineties, I was playing in the Black Hills with a couple of bands out there that uh, got really popular and got some good radio play and stuff like that. And I was playing five six nights a week while still doing day jobs. Okay, yeah. And then you know the jobs would let me off if we were going on tour, just kind of a regional thing for a week or two. And um, then I started touring internationally in about two thousand four. That's when I started going to the United Kingdom quite a bit, and I still go. I'll be there in October for a whole month. And then uh, I started going to Scandinavia in about 2005, and, uh, yeah, I still play there quite a bit, too. I have some wonderful friends and phenomenal musicians over there. And you write most or all of your songs? Um, Well, everything that's on the record I wrote – but then, and everything on the, my last couple of records I wrote, but, um, you know, I'll do, I like doing old blues music too. I'll, I, when I tour, I take a flat top and a resonator. Oh, cool. And I play a lot of slide stuff and yeah. I'll be doing, you know, Sunhouse and Bill Brunzi and, you know, stuff like that in addition to my songwriting stuff. So, was the songwriting. It's hard for me to say what I do. Yeah. You know, because yeah. some of it's blues and some of it's more based in. Haven't listened to Lyle Lovett or Willie Nelson, you know. Yeah, yeah. Hard to say. Well, and I heard uh, someone um, in an interview um, we did a couple weeks ago refer to this uh, fairly new term called red dirt music, which seems to kind of come from from the middle part of the United States. And and I hear that same influence in some of the things that you do. So I I don't know if that's a term you've heard before, but... um, that that seems to be kind only of a, from, only from Amy Lou Harris. So. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it seems to be a description that's starting to 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 resonate with um, Americana artists that are on the fringe of blues and country and folk and kind of right there in the middle. It seems to be kind of a new sub sub term under Americana. Well, that sounds like a decent fit. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll get a T-shirt. Maybe. Yeah, right. There you go. Yeah, the new Red Dirt music. <laughs> <song. Yeah. laughs> yes, sir. The uh, your songwriting was that something that um, when you started playing, you started playing and writing songs, or did that come later for you as as the music developed? Much later. Yeah. Much later. Um, I didn't start writing. Uh, because I played, you know, I was a sideman all through the 90s. I might be the lead guitarist or I might be doing a pickup or a studio session or something. But then um, I didn't start playing around with songwriting until I was close to 30. Oh, wow. Okay. And I don't, think I, have a, I don't think I have a single song that I kept since before I was 30. <laughs> um, but, but once I started writing, um, I, I just, I loved it, you know. And um, I, had, I had spent... I'd spent the '90s doing all those band gigs, backing up a couple of really good songwriters. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't doing the I wasn't doing the cover band thing. So I had an affinity for original music. Yeah, already. Yeah, and then uh, decided, well, if I'm gonna, I might as well take the next step and see if I can come up with something. You know, and uh, yeah, I started writing in my '30s, and then it just started pouring out after that, and then. Um, 
got in a situation where I kind of left the road there for a few years, uh, 2007, 8, 9, hmm. uh, 8, 9, and 10, something like that. Just got in a situation in my life where I, you know, uh, I was not encouraging myself to be my best. Right, right. And uh, so, you know, I kind of kind of let it go. And hey, honestly, that's been a real challenge to get back into writing. Really, but over the last over the last six seven years, um, you know, I've got some stuff I'm real proud of. You know, and this record is is that I'm I'm real proud of writing on this. So. Yeah, that's cool. You know, and I have I have both legends and contemporary writers that I look up to. Uh-huh. You know, um, there's the growing up in Texas, you have your Towns Van Zant, Guy Clark, right, Lyle Lovett, right. You know, I mean that whole that whole crew. Um, John Prine, who if he weren't from Kentucky, would be a Texas songwriter. Um, <laughs> you know, he's brilliant. Guys like Randy Newman, who write completely out of left field. Yeah. Writers, writers. Richard, yeah. Richard Thompson. Yeah. And these days, you've got, you got folks running around like Jason Isbell and Hayes Cole. And I, I can't quit spinning their records. Yeah. Um, they're, they're phenomenal. And they're an inspiration. So Now, was um, that, uh, uh, that, I, that Texas influence something that you looked back back on as a as a new songwriter when you first started writing songs or do you feel like you carried that with you as you moved around and moved out of texas and and eventually into minnesota i think it was always sort of a a home base Uh both you know emotionally intellectually when i look at those songs then you know those songs mattered i mean you know i grew up listening to the honky tonk heroes record and didn't know till i was in my 20s that that was all billy joe shaver's music i thought Uh, it was great You know, and then so I went back and found Billy Joe Shaver and was like, good God, where did this guy come from? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and by the way, we're all hoping the best for him. He's, yeah, he's Ill, but, for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I've, I've just always carried it and it's always been kind of a touchstone for me. And uh, I think what it is is the something about Texas writing in, in its narrative form as opposed to. Um, how do I, how do I even want to say this? It's, it's storytelling. Sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And a lot of my early work was, I mean, you could start at the beginning and go to the end and it looks like a short story. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I, I think I've gotten better at making it a little less specific and, yeah. and stuff like that, but there's still typically a story. There's one track on the record though that, that's got a kind of interesting story behind it. It's called Southern Moon. Uh-huh. It doesn't sound like all the others. And it's, uh, that's the one where it's kind of the big lap steel, extravaganza right okay um but um i started playing in norway in 2005 and on my first night there sat down with a phenomenal musician who was they called him the hendrix of norway his name was steinar gregertson Hmm. and we sat down to play and uh started to just kind of jam on one of his tunes that was about two and a half three minutes and about 11 minutes into it we finally finished and just were silent you know, it was like you, I had met somebody who got what I was doing. He had met somebody who got what he was doing. Anyway, That's cool. We became we became the, the best of friends. Yeah. And then um, a couple months later, he sent me the music for a track of his called Southern Moon and an idea for like the first line or two. And he said, I can't write this. Huh. And he didn't want, he didn't want my narrative style. He wanted something that just was about uh, creating an atmosphere. Yeah, and I said, well, I'll give it a shot. That's not my style at all. <laughs> yeah. Fifteen minutes later, I sent him the song back uh, via email, and he it was a title track on his record. So wow. he wrote the music, I wrote the lyrics, 
and Steinar passed away in 2012. And, uh, so when I was back there for his, for his funeral and to do a concert and stuff, I decided to work up a solo version of the tune uh-huh. and it just stayed, it stayed in my set. And, uh, I put it on this record with okay. to him. Yeah. So, yeah. But that's a totally different writing style from what I normally, okay. what I'm, how I normally approach it. And I thought it was a fascinating experiment. Yeah, well, I I I remember vaguely hearing it when when I listened to the CD, but I'll have to go back and listen to it again. I I I like the story behind the song aspect, so I, I appreciate you telling me that. And I think, um, sure, that's what that's what makes artists who write songs uh, gives them a different um, edge or advantage sometimes um, because there is a story. There's a story behind every song, but if you wrote it or if you had a part in writing it, um, it's personal. And I think that comes across then when you get to perform it. So I, I, I appreciate that, uh, in well, singer songwriters. To me, that means the world, it means the world to know where a song came from, especially from a lyricist I admire. Sure. And yeah. Stuff like that. How did how did they get from that event? Right. To right. That tune? Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. And I think and there's some on this album. The, the 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 opening track is a bizarre one. I didn't. I don't tend to write very philosophical uh-huh. things, but that one was a hard one to write. I came up with this lyric, and basically what it was saying was, some people want to ascribe meaning to things like if things are going bad in their life, a storm comes and they say, Oh, that storm's here to wash it away. They ascribe meaning to that. Right. Right. Okay. But, I, but I think the more we do that, the more we diminish the glory of that thing just as it is. Right. Yeah. And you, you know, sometimes a storm is just a beautiful storm. Yeah. And I didn't know how to write that song without being preachy, but that's what just the rain is. Yeah. 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 So, it was a weird one to write, but I'm glad it did. Yeah, no, and and, and again, I mean, that's that just that little brief narrative um, gives new meaning to the song. I I think it's uh, this is way off track, but I I miss that in vinyl records because you can add so much more to the liner notes. Um, you can you can uh, preset the song before you listen to it. You know, you, you've got more space to tell those types of stories and. Uh, I, th- I think it's important to, I'm with you. <laughs> to the connoisseur that's a listener to know, you know, I wonder what he meant by just the rain. Oh, that's what he meant. And then you can listen to the song with completely different ears. Right. And and I think that's double-edged. You know, sometimes you listen to it and you get what the writer intended. And sometimes if you don't know, you listen to it and it means something entirely different to you. Right. Just as much. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So it, it is a little double-edged, but I, I still find it fun and yeah, I went without a record player for years, and a couple of years ago, my beautiful wife got me a got me a new turntable, and now I'm back to vinyl and love it. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> well, we're we're uh, we're we're talking about the now we're talking about the new record, the Crooked Stage, and this is your fourth, right? Yep. 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 Three full lengths and an EP. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Now, now I hadn't done one since. I think the EP was the last one, and that came out in 2006. As I said, I took a few years off. Right. To, okay. Or you know, just to take stock. Where did the uh, Where did the name "The Crooked Stage" come from? Um, that "Crooked Stage" is just a line in the song called um, "There's Only This." The very first line of the song is. The lights upon that crooked stage let him fail to act his age ah, cool. and sing songs of love and rage and dirt. Yeah, okay. And I started thinking about it, and uh, I guess it meant a lot of different stuff. And I love spending my time on those stages for sure. Yeah, 
but at the same same time, it's it, it is crooked. It's a crooked lifestyle. <laughs> you know, it's it's just weird. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but like a good friend of mine once told me, if you if you're walking in an orchard, it's the crooked branch, branches that bear the fruit. <laughs> so, huh. That's um, interesting. Okay. But uh, but then I thought, you know, I thought on a not to overthink it, but it's a weird stage in my life too, getting back to it, especially true. at my age. Yeah, yeah. Okay. When I took so much time off, so. Yeah. There's your title. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love that you included yeah. the Wurlitzer organ uh, on, if, if certainly the ones oh, that oh, I listen. that burden on me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean that just there's something about that. I, I, I'm a uh, child of the '70s and and um, the bands Boston and uh, even the Doors, you know, use the use the organ. But a lot of those groups use the organ, and it just it's 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 almost like sneaking that um, the history into the song, even though it's a new song. It is just such an organic sound, and the there's I think there are two, three, or four tracks on there with a B3, and that's that's just me playing pads. Oh really? Okay. But then, uh, but then the song "Don't Lay That Burden on Me." We had done it, and uh, there was no. It was just guitars and bass and drums, and vocals. And I, the, the the guy who produced it with me, a fellow named Steve Call, who runs a fantastic studio here, Wild Sound Recording Studio. Um, we were listening back to it, and we both just at the same time said, "It's empty." Hmm. So we called up a local fellow named Scotty Miller, who's actually the keyboard player. He's the touring player for Ruthie Foster. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Scotty's a local guy, phenomenal musician. We had him come in, and he just put him on the whirly and let him go. Hmm. That's cool. <laughs> and he killed it. Yeah. You know, it was sort of an afterthought, and I don't know how we never thought of that. It yeah. Be, well, so it's uh, I could definitely see if that's not in that song that there's something missing. So good call Absolutely. on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. We were talking uh, a couple of weeks ago, kind of getting things set up for this and and you relayed a story to me earlier in 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 the conversation you were talking about getting ready to head out on tour and you spent a lot of time in in uh, Scandinavia and the UK and you were telling me this story that I thought was so cool about an encounter you had I believe was in the airport I wonder if you would uh, relay that again while we're oh, while we're live here yeah that's right um there was uh, back in the '90s. I played in, in, like I said, a couple of bands out in the Black Hills, and we were fairly well known, and people would come see us. And but we were uh, one of the bands was kind of a jam band, and we were very inclusive. Like if we played outdoor things, we had kids dancing on the stage, uh -huh. you know, hippie shit. And um, we let this young guy come up and jam with us. We were like, hell yeah, come on up. Never thought anything about it. Didn't yeah. know that. So then, I don't know, it was a few years back now. I'm exhausted. I'm getting on the airplane to fly home from Amsterdam, must have been. And I'm, I get on the plane, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just quiet. And this fella comes up to me on the airplane and says, hey, you're Matt Fox, aren't you? <laughs> and I said, well, I said, yes, I am. And I thought maybe he'd been at the show or something. Uh -huh. And he goes, well, I'm so-and-so. I'm and turns out he was the kid that we had let on stage in probably, I think it was Spearfish, South Dakota. Wow. Um, we had let him come on stage, and uh, that apparently meant so much to him that he ended up deciding to make a life of it and was on his way home from a tour in Germany. Wow, that's cool. And yeah. I just, you know, and, and if I could go back and find all the musicians that met and spent two minutes with me right, that right. changed my career, yeah. you know what I mean? It, it, it just meant a lot to see that that had happened. Yeah. And that those small encounters we make uh, – 
they matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that, that that's, puts the responsibility on us to conduct ourselves in a certain way and sure. respect all the time because you never know where that who that kid's going to be. Right, right. And and even in your songwriting, you know, you obviously it's an art, it's a craft. You're doing it for yourself, but you when when you want to share it with others again, it's you, you have uh, no clue how many people uh, any songwriter how many people you've affected in your listening audience when they the song we were just talking about uh, it's just the rain um, what does that mean to somebody in the audience who, who maybe is uh, you know caught up in some thought process over something and just hearing that song gives them some some relief or release from from this this thought process that's that's got them bogged down you know it's it's all of that and it's uh it's it's so cool when you can when you can connect the full circle of music that way well if that does happen i'm sure grateful to him for listening so hard so yeah <laughs> it's awesome you know <laughs> so yeah. th- this is the cd is just out how long has it been out well i, I put it online in may okay. um just just the beginning of this month I'm not doing a whole lot of publicity for it right now until next month because the official release concert here in Minneapolis is going to be on the 29th of June okay. at the Hook and Ladder Theater. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward. It is driving me crazy having all these CDs and download cards here and not telling anybody. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, but if folks want to go online and buy them, feel free. There you go. And it's, you know, I, so it's out on all the usual sure. places. Yeah. You know, CD Baby, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon. And uh, the website is MatthewFoxMusic.com. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. And they yeah. can they can and hook up always, with you there? They can. They can contact me off that page, and that will come directly to me. Um, I, don't have a, I don't have a manager. I don't have an agent. So, for, for God's sake, call me. I'll, <laughs> I'll come play the show. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, and then there's of course Reverb Nation, and you know all of us who are independent musicians try to get followers on there. And, sure. Um, and that's just ReverbNation.com/slash Matthew Fox. Couldn't be easier. And this so. tour for this CD, where's it going to take you? Which uh, is it, is it mostly regional? I, I I know you mentioned some international dates. Are you coast to coast on this one? You know, I, honestly, I haven't done much in the U.S. since about 2000. Seven ish. Once the market started to crash, I was in a town in Michigan, and um, they told me we're not sure what the crowd will be tonight. Last night, Nora Jones was downgraded to a club. Wow! And I thought, my goodness. Yeah. So, yeah. But the, yeah. you know, the economy's on its way back, and we're all hopeful. And yeah, um, I'm hoping that the first tour after this record will be. Uh, I depart October fourth for a month in the United Kingdom. Be doing some good shows over there, and then I would like to do a. Um, probably a southeast tour okay um because i've got some venues i've been talking to in georgia florida alabama right you know and i've still got all my uh in georgia i can guarantee at least a couple hundred cousins will show up <laughs> um and then uh but yeah i'd like to get back down there and then i'll be back in scandinavia uh in late spring okay awesome well, thanks, so, yeah. Matt. It's been uh, good hearing your stories and uh, and learning more about your music and your life, and uh, we wish you the best. Well, I sure appreciate it, and uh, I, I appreciate you doing this podcast. I think it does a good service for um, independent musicians, and 
uh, if I can speak for them, we're grateful. Yeah, Thank you. well, good. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Americana Music Profiles. Find us on iTunes at Americana Music Profiles and on the Internet at AmericanaRhythm.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.